This is Yudak Cohen with Chazon Vision Magazine, and you are listening to the Next Edge Podcast. With me in Jerusalem is Suleiman Khatib, friend for almost 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. He's an activist. With an interesting story. I just actually would like to invite Suleiman to first share his story a little bit so listeners understand who he is and where he's coming from before we speak about current events and yeah. solving the conflict. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me this platform. Uh, my name is Suleiman Khatib. I come from a village uh, called Hizma, 10 minutes from Jerusalem. Historically, my village and my community were always part of the Jerusalem mosaic. Uh, my family lived here for as long as they can remember, so I have a lot of uh, indigenous belonging to this place, uh, to this land. Uh, and I. Uh, yeah, I had uh, been active uh, since my childhood, actually, in this conflict, let's put it this way. But not as a peace activist? No, I started, uh, well, I started in a different direction, so I can maybe give uh, a quick uh, background. Yeah, I was, uh, when I was 13, 14, like for me, the only way to change the system was uh, what we, since we talk about multiple narrative, I grew up with a Palestinian narrative. Even though my father spoke Hebrew, I have Israeli friends, but my generation, like uh, some of us, a few of us, started like you know to fight for the identity, actually, uh, because in my time I'm 47, looking at, and in my time the word Palestine was illegal or the flag you can be arrested because of that. The school was under Israeli control, so my duty and a few of the kids, the troublemakers in the school, is actually to raise the flags on the electricity throw stones and cocktail Molotov. I also uh, initiated attacking two Israelis, stabbing two Israelis. So they were soldiers. At that day, they were not in the service. The idea was that we want to take their weapon. And they had the weapons on them? We didn't know. We thought they had it in the back, so we didn't know. But we were kids. I was 14 and five months at this moment. And I was already like very active. Also, you know, I was connected to the Palestinian cause by the folklore. I play flute, and uh, I'm connected, uh, you know, my ancestors, my family, like to the olive trees, to the land, to the stones. I really grew up to be a good person, which means to protect the land, to protect our community and the land and the values and the tradition and the culture from this uh, new colonialist like uh, project, honestly. Um, the Zionist project? Yes. And of course, I was 14. I didn't know, I never heard of, uh, you know, Herzl of anybody. But of I was aware of the political situation compared to my generation. So, for example, I used to listen to a secret uh, channels in radio at that time of the BLO, Palestinian uh, uh, Liberation Organization. They were in Lebanon and Tunis. So I would do that to hide it from my family. I would read two magazines in Jerusalem. They were also secret political magazines. And also my older brother was in jail, so I got access to ex-prisoners and prisoners and refugees and all that. So I got to be really involved and active. Uh, yeah, Netflix made a movie about you, right? Yeah, yeah, um, partly. And what, uh, what's it called? Where can people see it? Yeah, Disturbing the Beast. They Disturbing can see it online. And my story is part of uh, eight Palestinian and Israeli stories. And of course, it represents the mix and multiple narratives here. I spent 10 years and five months in jail from the age of 14 and a half. I was the youngest prisoner for some time. My, my 
room in my family house was blocked all the time I was in jail. Yeah, that's my background. So I basically learn. I knew Hebrew from home a little bit, like some songs and some Hebrew. I used to play football with kids from Nabiaku. I remember their names. Before uh, you were politically active? Yeah, I was a child. Because there is a space between my village and Nabiaku, I used to go with the sheep, mm -hmm. my family, or after the school. My school is really like two minutes from there. So we used to play football. But that doesn't mean the situation was totally okay. You know, I could feel the tension and the problems, of course. When I go to Jerusalem, especially the bus, I could see soldiers. Also, they built Bizgadzev, which is a different story because Navi Yaqub was exist already and religious community. With my community, they used to have a almost good connection. With Bizgadzev, they brought like Russian immigrants and they didn't speak Hebrew, different culture, and that made a threat to our space, like direct, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, and anyway, so all of that, and also there's personal part, I can say, very honest about that. You know, I was coordinator of the group of 14 years old kids with adults, 18 years old. So I feel, you know, uh, adrenaline and important, and I know things they don't know. All of this. And of course, I was attracted, you know, Chijivara, Arafat, long hair, Kufiya, glass and go, all of that. So I was uh, attractive to what we call a military solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what changed? Yeah, I, I went through a very deep uh, transformative experience uh, through years, and I'm still learning and changing. Uh, yeah, as, as I said, I was in jail 14 years and a half. I experienced non-violence in jail through a uh, food hunger strike. And the first one, I was 15, we did the 10 days food hunger strike. It's very famous for Palestinian prisoners. And we always succeed. And it's totally non-violence. We all succeed to achieve our demands, which is improving the daily life in jail. And the last hunger strike was 17 days with 4,000 prisoners. Mm -hmm. We also succeed. Means we don't eat at all. We just drink water and salt. That's why it's called in Arabic and Hebrew, Mayo And that's the name of my book, by the way. Salt and water. It's very important in the Jewish history, as far as I know, in the Pesach time. And it's very important in the Palestinian culture because the prisoners' day and the Besah comes at the same time, April 17, every year. So it's really important for me now, since I'm aware of the two narratives, or the more than two narratives, to find like the common uh, values in both, or more than both. And also, I read, you know, Gandhi Mandela was in jail at that time, and uh, I read about nonviolence, Martin Luther King, if we talk to Americans. Uh, yeah. And I learned the language of my enemy, supposedly, that was the theory, honestly. To learn Hebrew, to understand Yeah, Hebrew. yeah, yeah, like but, but learn your enemy's really language. Point. Yeah. You know, you mentioned narratives a couple of times. And yeah. From my perspective, I think that Palestinians and Israelis are living in two completely different narratives. It, right. It's more than two narratives, really, because we have multiple narratives on each side. Yeah. I agree. And the way, I, I would say, in the story you're describing so far, it sounds like you're fully, fully, fully living the Palestinian narrative as a child, yeah. as a teenager. Yeah. I would say a narrative, the way I understand narratives, is a selection of facts, like a collection of facts that are selectively chosen and contextualized within an ideological worldview. Mm -hmm. And we can have millions of facts when it comes to our conflict here for the last yeah. hundred years, but we each take the facts that are important to us. Yeah. And what I see happening now, what I see happening now in the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians is that we're afraid of each other's narratives. Mm -hmm. Now, when you come and you tell me that you learned Hebrew in order to understand the enemy better, yeah. that sounds to me 
like good strategy. You want to win. Yeah. Like right now, nobody's winning because we keep mm. fighting past each other. We fight yeah. our fantasies of the other. We're not yeah. even really, f I'm, we're, we're not even willing to understand who the other is. Right. And it's interesting to me that by you coming to learn Hebrew for the purpose of understanding your enemy, for the purpose of being more effective in your struggle, yeah. you actually got to know who we are and yeah. that created space yeah. to be able to come together. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. How do you describe the narrative? Uh, of course, as he I heard from Steve Abkin, the producer of the documentary, Disturbing the Beast, we spoke a lot in, in, uh, after the documentary, and I learned a lot from him when he spoke about narratives have sometimes even nothing to do with the truth. So it doesn't have to be facts, but of course there is a selection of facts and filtered facts. I, I and think in our cases, Jews and Palestinians, we're both telling the truth when it comes to ourselves. Of course, of course. And we're getting it wrong when it comes to the other. Of course, because, like, uh, recognize, and this is maybe one of the biggest challenges. I, I don't have the answer, I just say my experiences with both uh, groups, because I'm fully Palestinian and I'm open, uh, totally open, and I understand the Israeli slash Jewish uh, narrative and connection here. I think the fear is legitimate, but it's preventing us from any openness. Mm -hmm. The fear is this how can I recognize? anything from the narrative of the other side which means demolish my narrative well that's what it feels like well that's, that's what, what feel the fear is I, where I am right now it totally in a new place that of course I am Palestinian I carry on me like a lot of generations and trauma and the victimhood and 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 the losses but also I'm able to see the uh, what we call between two brackets the other side and once you see the other side, like humanize the other side, is really central and important because you can't hit and possibly kill if you humanize the other side. Like you need to dehumanize the mm -hmm. other side to keep the the situation happening. So I'm in in a new space where I'm able to see my own people, if I want to say that, peoples, which is both sides that have really uh, a lot of truth in the narratives and. The practical side, I want to leave it aside. Because as I told you before the interview, a friend of mine said, and this is really helpful for me, uh, keep one leg in reality, in the ordinary, and let's keep the other leg in the extraordinary, in the dream. And I live in between, because I have to go back to the reality also. Like My family still live in Area C and problems, and until they have access to the land, there is a lot of bureaucracy and army and wall, and all of the list that I don't want to talk about it a lot. In the same time, I really think some of us have to raise above the daily challenges and the now in order to create a new space to show model, to show hope, because our peoples are hopeless, both sides, and there is no trust. And that's what I'm like, I really like this movie. And also, there are there's not so many but books that talk about the mixed narratives here and the historical connection, and that is really important, I believe. So, so for me, as a peace activist, when I think about the work that I do, and this might also apply to the work that you do, for me, I think, first of all, the most important barrier we have to get past is the fear of each other's narratives. Mm. I think the fear that I've seen among Jews and probably Palestinians as well, is that there's a fear that if his narrative is true, if the enemy's mm. narrative is true, it means my story is less true. False, yeah. Like, uh, for example, we here on the Israeli side, yeah that Palestinians don't believe we're really from here. That we're not from this country, so that we don't Netanyahu have roots here. That. Huh? Just Bibi Netanyahu just said he that, that we're not from Palestinian here. from South Europe. 
from like Greece, from Greece and Europe. Ah, last oh, week. and vice versa. Of like course, the Palestinian answer to him that Jewish are from East Europe because they're not from Middle East. The, this war exists. It's mm-hmm. there, of course. Right. So, so I think we're we're afraid of each other's stories because we think that the other story will delegitimize our own stories. Exactly. I think that's an obstacle we have to overcome. Yeah. But also, I think that peace really means two things for me. It means mm-hmm. first of all, changing the roles we play in each other's stories. Like right now, I know mm-hmm. the character who I am in the narrative of most Palestinians is a negative character, yeah. is an antagonist, is mm-hmm. an enemy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the enemy, mm-hmm. and I don't want you to be my enemy. I don't want the Palestinian to play the role of the antagonist in my story. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, I think there is a bigger antagonist that's pushing us both into conflict. And it might mm-hmm. not even be a specific person or people, it's a system. Yeah. There's a system and there are people who benefit from our conflict. And there are of people course. who make money from our conflict. Of and I, I feel like a sucker, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I feel like a sucker every day I participate in this conflict with you. Instead of us collectively realizing that we're both being oppressed by the same forces mm-hmm. and finding ways to, to collaborate in working against that yeah. machine. That, that's number okay. one. Number two, I think when it comes to solutions here, I think if we're able to really understand both narratives, if we're able to unpack and find like the, the core grievances and the core aspirations of both sides, then we can start to have real conversations about solutions that allow us both to be winners in our narratives. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, I'm living in one movie, you're living yeah, in another yeah. movie. I want to win and you want to win. So the question is, what does winning look like? What does victory mm-hmm. look like in your story? What does victory look like in my story? And how can we create real solutions in the ground here mm-hmm. that allow us both to feel like full winners in mm-hmm. our own movies while moving forward together? Yeah. And so I, I think it does require a lot of work. Yeah, I agree. In, in principle, I w- I'm aware that what you said also, I want to agree with you, that unfortunately... I'm talking as a uh, on the system level, not on individuals. There are a lot of individual people with good intention, but definitely Jewish and Palestinians and others in Middle East are fighting for to be who will be the important slave for the Western right. colonialist projects. Honestly, that's my real opinion because I do think that Jewish and Palestinian and Arab and Turks and Iranian, we all from mid- this region. And we have really to look at this. This is very important, like, in my eyes, historically. And as a friend of mine said, Israeli friend of mine, he told me, we fight who will be the slave for the Europeans. Right. Not to be free. Unfortunately, this is a fact. So we're not even fighting for freedom. We're fighting no. who gets to be the slave of course, the West. Of course. Like, everybody wants to satisfy the West on both sides, unfortunately in the system level and even in the organizations level and in the civil society level some some well certainly the certain organizations level. because most of yeah. the NGOs here their their funding from foreign yeah, governments right. is dependent right. on supporting a two state solution. Right. I'm I'm sure like there are a lot of good people and good intention in the West. I'm talking about the system, the historical uh, racist colonialist history that exists mm-hmm. around here. That's true there. In the same time, for me, in the end of the day, of course, this is international conflict. The world is involved because this place is so important to many people around the world, and we can't deny that to be politically correct. But more important for me are the people that live here, mm-hmm. honestly, like my our communities right. that live here are more important than uh, intellectual conversations that exist in London or New York, exactly. with my respect. And actually, this is what I wish to see more conversations happening here in the very local, on the ground. Because uh, I really believe the majority of our population, they just want to live. Very simple. Like, they want to live their life. And also, as you said, like, 
you know, as this, uh, I believe, Martin Luther King said, like, either we die together as stupid, either we live together. And in this, this place is like a cake. We, there is no one group can take it alone, honestly. Like, my family in Jordan, they also longing to, to smell the land of my village, of their land. And I ask American Jewish friends of mine a few times, how do you feel when you come to Jerusalem? Do you really have emotional feeling belonging here? Because you're born and they ask, your family came from Poland before, like the last of your generation. And I got like a, a sense of the belonging and the longing to come here also. So I think I don't see a danger where I am now of recognizing the history, the culture, the moral, the connection of both groups to the Holy Land, let's say. Well, that, that's important, and it brings me to another uh, obstacle that I see. Uh, like, you know, we spoke about us being unwilling to engage in the narrative of the other, being afraid to engage in yeah. the narrative of the other. I think another big obstacle is kind of a combination of Israel's ruling class wanting to be part of the West and not the yeah. Middle East, combined with the insistence of Palestinians and other people in the Middle East yeah. wanting to see Israel as part of the West and not the Middle East. Yeah. So I think you... It's both there. And yeah. it's interesting because you see like a lot of Hasbara, you know what's Hasbara? Like Israel advocacy. Yeah. They try to present yeah. Israel as this like enlightened Western Democratic country uh, in the Middle country, East. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and our neighbors all see us as this kind of fortress of Western imperialism mm, in the Middle East. Mm. So I think that's a barrier. I think that on the Israeli side, there sh especially among the ruling class, there needs to be more of a desire to indigenize into the region, mm -hmm. more of a desire mm -hmm. to become an organic part yeah. of the Semitic region, and mm -hmm. not to, like Ehud Barak likes to call Israel a villa in the jungle, like we're this kind of island yeah. of Western civilization and everybody around us is a I savage. think many Israeli leaders from all walk of political system yeah. Spoke uh, the same language, right. and this like is from the right to the left, actually. Right. Like no, no, no. This is course. a, a, a yeah, language yeah. of the ruling class. Of course, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's and I there. And I just want to support what you're saying by, like, a friend of mine, Israeli, wrote one time the buildings of Tel Aviv looking west, mm -hmm. like unconsciously, like even, of course. And many of our people, also on the Palestinian side, actually want to be westernized. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with the openness, with the you know uh, cultural exchange, and and and. But I well, really only if you know your own culture. Right. I think like our own indigenous culture here is really important. I since my journey with my book, I start to reconnect with my my own family's history and I find a lot of like really interesting uh, let's put it this way. As my mom says, like there is a lot of uh, healing medicine in this land to the one that we have. We don't have even to import anything from North America or Europe with my respect including the values, for example, of reconciliation. When we talk about reconciliation, this is one example of many, that all the tradition of Middle East called Sulha, reconciliation, Jewish knows that, Arab knows that, Kurds, the Turk, all the people of Middle East practice this pre-Abraham even, and even during Abraham, which we all kind of uh, worship, like uh, his claim, like, claim as our like, father. So it was used, and it's still used. Actually, in our villages, it's still used. Even in Ramallah, in the city, mm -hmm. it's still used. While we have the normal system, the modern system of the court, the Sulha system is much stronger and deeper. This and is more people opt for it. Of more course, people. of course. And actually, it ends up, even when, uh, with the bloody conflict among families, mm -hmm. it takes one year with a process and really very organized. Like older people, wise people knows that, how to work. It ends up with hard, clean the heart and forgiveness, not 
a victim and a criminal. And like in the Western court system? No, it's definitely another system which indigenous people around the world, they can relate mm -hmm. to that. And these are important values that we have bring to bring it to life, right. I guess. Sounds that way. Um, yeah, and another barrier I see is just the two-state solution. Like, how do you relate to the two-state mm -hmm. solution, which call it the separation paradigm? Mm -hmm. Because until now, that's been the conventional wisdom of how we're going to achieve peace mm -hmm. here, that we're going to be separated into two states. And uh, for me yeah. personally, that, that won't work because I'm not willing to be separated yeah. from what we consider to be the cradle of Jewish civilization, you know, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. Mm -hmm. That's not an option for me. And at least a million Jews like me. I know that Palestinians feel very connected to places that are west of the Green Line. Yeah. You know, and I mean, your family's been in Khizmi for generations. Right. So it's not like you're from Akko or Haifa yeah, yeah. or anywhere. But of course, like we have an emotional connection to uh, all over the place, of course. So, look, I honestly usually uh, try to avoid deciding the solution in mm -hmm. advance. So, I would support like a journey mm -hmm. and principles. That's more well, it's like makes we, sense for me. We, we have a friend in common, uh, Sami Awad. In yeah. He says something that I love. He says that when people talk about solutions, they're talking about the frame around a picture. Mm. And what we need to do is work on the picture inside, the relationship. Together. Yeah. And, and see where and we go. And, and yeah. the better we can make the picture, the more frames become available. And uh, that I agree with Sammy. And also, like in nonviolence communication, I start like studying a little mm -hmm. bit. Also, it comes from the US, by the way, uh, from Marshall Rosenberg. He spoke about uh, building trust. Mm -hmm. Once we really like recognize the needs and feelings of all sides, and build the trust and work to fulfill the needs of all sides. I think the solution will look very different than decided in advance. What I'm saying, like getting to know each other and working together, it's really uh, a huge thing. Like that's I'm saying from my personal experience. You know, like I now aware of the Israel narrative and the challenges and the division and 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 because I have Israeli friends, I know Hebrew and all that. That's not the case for the mainstream Palestinian and Israelis. So I'm definitely for engagement with getting to know each other than separation, obviously. And I also support, you know, the cultural, spiritual belonging of both people to the land, the whole land. At the same time, I support the right of self-determination for all the groups, where Jewish and Palestinian also feel their inspiration like, can be fulfilled. It doesn't have to be either or, in my eyes. Uh, I think uh, we don't have to decide in advance, like, where how we will separate and put borders and unfortunately I personally I'm for open borders and build trust and cooperation than building borders and separation system. You don't support a solution to that? Again, I support the principles. Uh -huh. and Did you I used to support a two-state solution? I've never been like really fan of two-state solution, I have to say, but I was not really opposing that as a step for now, in order to rebuild the trust between the both sides. Of course, I'm aware to come to a a bloody conflict and then tell them, oh, you guys gonna live together. It's also a big challenge. I'm aware of, I'm realistic right. while dreaming. We talk about one leg in the reality and one in the dream. So there is like maybe different stages to go through. Uh, for me, what is so important actually as a grassroots and an individual level and organizations level is not to wait for this political agreement to come. Mm -hmm. It's really to try to create a reality of alternative reality. What I mean by that, the, there are a few groups here, they did succeed to build 
something of the reality. I can give an example, and I am aware it's controversial. The Memorial Day, the Palestinian Israeli Memorial Day, was like 12 years ago, we have 200 people, then we have 500 people, and like this year we have almost 10,000 people. This is a huge, it's the biggest, the second biggest Israeli Memorial Day. Tel Aviv, Yom So a friend of mine said, one of the founders of the Memorial Day, this is also part of the reality. So the reality is not just the conflict side, there is also some people trying to build another reality. And I'm really a fan of creating these models than just like shouting on the dark to show okay. something real can work. In principle, I agree with you. Yeah, that's my line. I disagree with you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. But it can be anything else. Right. No, I mean, meaning, you know. for, first of all, I'm against Yom Azikaron even including terror victims. Mm. I think it should only be fallen soldiers and that's it. But I think yeah. we can have another day on the calendar where we remember the victims of the conflict on both sides. I hear you. I'm trying to say the principle. Yeah, you know, the principle can be can be applied for any other thing. You know, like mm -hmm. other like creating. You know, there is this uh, community you might agree or not uh, called Ekumi. Of course, it's controversial from both sides. Mm -hmm. They were attacked from both sides. Normalization our side, also for Israelis. You know, like they go to area A, illegal this and that. And the communities not exist physically, but they were seven years exist between Jericho and Dead Sea. For example, I see this community, I'm part of, of uh, their WhatsApp. It really exists, like in uh, online and they do events. Mm -hmm. This is like the question, shall we just like say no and fight uh, whatever non-violence way, like the system, or try to create a new reality? That's what I'm trying to say. That's why for me, the interior conflicts in within both sides, unfortunately, it's there. We have to recognize that. I personally tried as much as I could because it's really hard to sit on the table with people that you don't agree with. Um, I personally try to, since I kind of know the two narratives and I have experience, I try really to see the big picture and to zoom out from the interior conflict mm -hmm. and to serve as a bread, okay. as much as I can. And I hope to see more people doing that because we are divided already so much. Well, well let me ask you a question yeah. on that note. Where do you see the societies moving? Because Palestinian society, Israeli society are both dynamic. Neither one is right. a static community. Yeah. There's like a socio-cultural trajectory. There's mm -hmm. a political trajectory uh, on both sides. So that's one of the arguments I often make that when we talk about solutions, if we're going to talk about solutions, we have to take into consideration the demographic, the socio-cultural, the political trajectories of, course, of societies yeah. and not just try to formulate solutions based on where people are at right now. Because mm -hmm. Israeli society in 20 years might be very different from Israeli society today. Palestinian society yeah, yeah. in 20 years might be very yeah. different. So in which direction do you see these, both of these so, societies moving? Wow, that's a deep question. Thank you. Um, in my eyes, since I like move in between the two sides, the two societies actually, uh, and I'm trying to be aware, not to be in any bubble, um, this or that. Uh, there's actually interesting dynamics and energies happening. I honestly, the last even a few years, I'm involved personally with a few groups that are trying to see use trauma healing mm -hmm. because we are aware it's generational thing and it's also a collective thing, individual thing. Uh, before like touching the political thing, um, so there is this kind of groups. There is a groups that uh, also more like uh, like Ekumi style. There are groups that more do activist style, like anti-system. And there is also people going back to religion, and there is people like leaving. And I 
see the our communities are going in different directions. I really don't see one direction. That's my opinion. That's my observation. Even the Palestinian street, you go to Ramallah, you see more secular, open, uh, westernized. You go to Area C, it's more local, <laughs> or Area B. So there is no one way. W I we have to take into consideration the changes in Middle East, the changes in the world, the internet now. Like uh, in my village, there was election two days ago. Like you know, my mom generation never have internet or anything. You know, like so my mom's picture was taken by the central uh, election committee, and they posted in uh, online and. She was asking us to open Facebook to see her picture there. It's it's interesting because like uh, people were asking because my brother was uh, one head of one of the list. Should they use the internet for like Hasbara, uh, Tamula, whatever you call it, for VR or not? So even people in village. So there is a lot of changes happening. Like people in village got received these days of through the internet everything that somebody is sitting in New York received. So there is a lot of changes. It's really hard to know. What I know that we have to try to affect these dynamics. Can we talk for a second about these elections? You said you had elections two days ago yeah. in Khizmet. So they re, uh, these are not Palestinian Authority elections, these are oh, not national elections, these are local, local elections. Local election, of course, the Palestinian Authority involved because the Central Election Committee, part of the Palestinian Authority, uh, they did the re election of a few councils, a few cities, a few villages mm -hmm. that. Uh, I think there were problems or like like some reasons there, so they re did the re-election, uh, and the normal election will be next year because it's happened every four years on the local council. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't include the president, the uh, legislative council, and the top leaders. That's another story. Mm -hmm. So definitely, I saw the news yesterday, and it was successful in a few towns. And your brother was the head of one of the lists. Yeah. Did he win? He went. So now your brother is. What's his position? Uh, so they have. To, we have to wait to see the the people that win. They have to sit and re-elect the president oh. of the, the the mayor, whatever called. Uh, so there was like a. F I didn't vote because I don't live there and I don't involve in the political system. But he was the head of Fatah list, and there was a democracy party, democratic party, and independence people. So they have six uh, seats for Fatah two for independence and uh, three for Democratic Party. So there will be conversations among them to see what to do with the positions. And of course, it's very competitive and the families and the proud and you know, there are a lot of elements involved in this actually. So if I ever want to move to Khizme and start yeah. like a little Jewish community inside yeah. Khizme, I have some connections. I can call on your brother and maybe he can help us build a Well, me and my brother are not in the same uh, place politically. That's the truth. And as I said, like for me, like I say, in principle, in theory, I personally support the right of people to live wherever they want, period. Of course, that's a very big thing. And practically, this is another story. We have also to see the reality right now. Like, when do you, as a Jewish person, practice your, or you fulfill your dream, your insight, your soul of living in West Bank? And, and can we, the, the, question. the real question for me is a Jew yeah. who does live in the West Bank. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm saying the question in the practical side might wait also the question of my family to go to the, our olive trees in October for olive harvesting. My mom still needs a permit. So we are not there, but I do feel and think we have to dream to go there. Right. No, no. For, for, me, wish, for yeah. me, it's actually very um, much part of my identity, this conflict internally, because I've spent the last 17 years of my life creating Jewish communities in the West Bank mm -hmm. and in East Jerusalem. 
I live in the West Bank now. Yeah. I'm not willing to move. I'm not willing to give it up. Uh, I'm determined to fight for it. At the same time, I refuse to live as a settler. Mm. I don't want to be a settler. Yeah. I don't want to live uh, like a colonizer. I don't want to live at anyone else's expense. I want to create a situation where the Jews living in the West Bank mm. uh, are able to live normally mm -hmm. uh, with Palestinians, yeah. not at the expense of Palestinians. Mm. And, and I think that this is on our side, in the Jewish community, this is going to force us to challenge some very basic assumptions about ourselves, about the last hundred years, about the extent to which Israeli policies are responsible mm -hmm. for, for much of the situation today. I think that uh, both sides, I'm sure you have this, where there's a defensiveness. Yeah. We hear accusations yeah. against us and our reaction is to be defensive and say, yeah. no, it's not us, it's yeah. them. Yeah. But the truth is, from a Jewish perspective, from a deeply mm. Jewish perspective, the healthiest reaction to an accusation is introspection. Mm. is to actually think about it and say, wait a minute, is yeah. there something to yeah. what they're accusing me of? Mm -hmm. And if so, what can I do? Mm. And even if it's not true, it's still a message I'm supposed to hear. Right. It's still yeah. something I'm meant to think about. So this question of how do I, as a Jew who's waited 2,000 years to come back mm. to my land and who's now living in a generation where I get to fulfill that dream, mm -hmm. How can I fulfill that dream? I'm not willing to not fulfill the dream. I'm not willing to say we're going to not fulfill the dream and wait till there's peace because you know that peace takes a long time and mm. I know that peace takes a long time. But what I'm more interested in is trying to figure out a way to make peace part of fulfilling the dream. Mm. Like we talk about what are the goals of Jewish history. What does Jewish liberation look like, especially today? So I could say that in the days of Zionism, you know, coming back to the land, reviving the Hebrew language, uh, fighting the British, yeah. these were all Zionist goals. But Zionism ended, like 52 years ago. Mm -hmm. Zionism ended in 1967. And now I think we need to find, the Jewish people, need to find a new Jewish liberation ideology that can clean up the mess of Zionism while protecting its mm -hmm. positive achievements. To say, okay, like, Zion, like the state of Israel is like a cup and an empty cup. It's mm -hmm. the physical rebuilding of the Jewish people mm -hmm. in our land. But now we have to fill it with content, we have to fill it with values, we have to fill it with an identity, and that identity should be, when we try to figure that identity out, I think it needs to focus on what we share in common with the rest of the region, with the Palestinians, with the other Semitic mm -hmm. peoples, and not just you know uh, try to be like a fortress of Western civilization. Mm -hmm. I think at this point, it, it feels to me that Jewish liberation and Palestinian liberation are very much intertwined. I don't see any possibility of one people experiencing liberation without the other. Mm. Because I think we're destined to be here, we're, we're in each other's lives, we're sharing a tiny country. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, it makes sense to me that you should be able to live in Tel Aviv, you should be able mm. to live in Haifa, I should be able to live in Jericho if I want. And, and there's got to be a way to organize this country mm -hmm. that we both feel like winners in the stories we're living mm -hmm. in and we both feel as if our grievances have been alleviated and our aspirations mm -hmm. have been met. That, that for me is the goal. What yeah. can we, how can we find that ultimate solution that allows us both to feel like we've won? Hmm. Look, what I feel when you speak. Yeah. So I feel like... I agree with some of your words and your spirit and your uh, good intention. 
I also can tell, like, very honest, and uh, I feel there is a lot of this conversation is interior Jewish conversation. Yes. Not with the Palestinians. Yes. That's one thing to be aware of. That's true. The second thing, the second thing, there is a privileges here have to be recognized. Mm -hmm. So they're power dynamics. The power dynamics. favor us right now. Not to victimize, victimize anybody. I don't really like, like that our people fall into victim on both sides. Of course, in the Palestinian mm -hmm. side, it's more because it's live now, but the victimhood like, it doesn't help anybody, like individually or as a group. But it's really important to recognize that. Like, again, nonviolence communication, they give us some tools that can help us. Again, Marshall Rosenberg, also a Jewish scholar, that he also faced a lot of problems in the 50s in, in, in Chicago or somewhere there and he really wrote this for like social justice movement actually uh, when he said that we all have the same needs but not all the time we all have the same needs but not all the time so the needs at this moment right now at this moment while we want and we should really start from recognizing and legitimizing the needs and the narrative and the connection all these big values and it's not easy for many people they are not there yet we have to meet them where they are and to try to help people to open up. It's not easy because of fear and all that. But once we see the real picture where, for example, uh, your wish is to live, for example, in Jericho or Ramallah or anywhere in West Bank, which for me as a Palestinian, that truly I don't feel threat. You don't feel threat? No, I don't feel threat by that. Like for me, my neighbors, like where I live in Ramallah, Christian, Muslim, secular, religious, that's what I want to see. Like that people can be mosaic, like all colors. Still, at this moment, this is complex due to the conflict and the complexes that we know. And in the same time, if I look at the need of my mom, that she born here and her family were here all the time, she can't access the, the city where she born without a permit if she got a permit. So just to say, we have to see that actually and help I do agree and believe actually that that's why I believe in nonviolence actually and even silent nonviolence is important here in my eyes because the idea is really not to shame and blame anyone even the strong one in the system that's why for me my conversation with many of my Palestinian friends that we do have power and we uh, can really make change mm -hmm. And I have example from jail, you know, prisoners, we don't have any power, you know, physically, but we have our soul and our like unity and our smartness and our belief in our right. And we succeed every time to achieve our demands. So I believe if we put our hands, hearts together in real faith, and I really want to fight for your right here from my heart, like I'm fighting for my family's right, the same. And we don't agree in every political thing. And that's why I use example, and I know it's controversial, but it's really important. Some of my friends' daughters refused to serve in the army. I know for Israelis, this is like touching the holy cow. I know that, I'm aware of that. At the same time, since we talk about multiple narrative here, we are not talking about Israeli-Jewish dialogue. It's a different thing. Since we talk about Palestinians, that some of them don't believe that Judaism uh, give any right of anything, like that Jewish uh, nation even. So like somebody said, you are saying to the Muslim and the Arab that God give us this land, but they don't believe in, the, the, in your book in the first place. If they don't believe in this book, how can they believe in this part? Mm -hmm. So we have also to know with whom we are talking. Uh, so what I think here, for example, in my friends that refuse to serve in the army in, at this moment 
and I see them going to jail. It's also privilege, let's admit that. People have access to information, more open, grew up in activist houses. I, this gives me and some of my Palestinian activists also legitimacy to fight for these people and care about them like I care about my sister. It's just the same. This is my heart and my truth and the interior conflict. I'm really trying not to be part of the left-right Fighting. On the Israeli side. And the Israeli Jewish right. side. You don't, you don't want to take a side in the cultural war in Israeli society. Yeah, yeah, I'm not there. Like, it's not mean for me, like, both ways. And I want it's to be seen. It's safer to stay out. The truth is it's much safer. Yeah, stay out. Stay and out. I, I want to be seen and exist and to recognize my existence here. And mm -hmm. uh, that's why, for me, the division, not exactly just a Jewish or Israeli side and Palestinian. There's, you know, there are some people from, like, the Jewish side will not talk to you. And there's the other way around with me that I'm sitting here with you now, they will accuse me of normalization and they will not sit with me. So it's not just divided by this. So I guess it's important to uh, really help people open up their hearts. And yeah, that's I, what's I, I appreciate that. And I want to go back to something you said, because you said that, first of all, when I speak, and you're right, yeah. when I speak, like half of what I'm saying is really an internal Jewish conversation. Mm. Because for me, it really is about the liberation of my people. Mm. And I just happen to believe that peace with the Palestinians, and when I say peace, I don't just mean we don't kill each other anymore. When yeah, I say yeah. peace, I mean really, like, like, real like really, that, we're, that we unify in this land. Yeah. For me, that's a goal of Jewish liberation right now. Mm. Meaning, I feel for my people to achieve liberation, you need to be on my side. We need to figure yeah. out what minority rights look like in a Jewish society. We need to find a place of dignity for people mm. who are not Jews in our society, because that's part of the evolution and growth mm. of what we're building here. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I can achieve that. I don't think that my story, my people's story, can move forward without me solving my conflict with you. You know, the power dynamics do favor Israel right now. No question. Power dynamics favor us. And for me, that means two things. Number one, at least in the beginning, Israel will have more ability to drive where things go. And number two, because the power dynamics favor us, it's our responsibility to make the first move in building trust. Mm -hmm. Because we don't trust each other right now. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I actually do trust you. As I a person, yeah. I trust you. But we as a society don't trust you. And you as a society yeah. don't trust I us. trust you personally, of course. I appreciate yeah, that. Definitely. Yeah. But so only because I said it first. No, no, I, it's like the truth, obviously. But I am aware of what you're saying. Like the but you know what I am. You trust me because you know exactly what I am. Of course, yeah, yeah. But I'm but saying in the bigger picture, I, yeah. in my opinion, and you tell me if, if I'm wrong, correct me. Uh, because if I'm wrong, I'll stop saying it and I'll start saying something else. I yeah. think the most important move Israel can make, first step to build trust, is to take down the wall. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, I okay. First of all, like in the practical side, I don't really favor like there is w one way. There is million ways to make peace with your neighbor. No, but I'm talking Let's about say, sending a Definitely the wall message. is one of the biggest like okay. issues that we see, we face it in our eyes every day. Right. So that's definitely one of the symbolic even. Right. It, it, it has a deep meaning, right. of course. And like and so when we saw Berlin Wall, like we thought, oh, the whole world changed. Of course, right. that's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. In the same time, I really like believe that it's not just the Israelis. This is really my belief. Of course, Israelis are stronger in this game right now, but I really believe that we have to take steps together means take responsibilities on our life right now and future together. And I believe like to do good for neighbors is not weak thing and it really exists in all our cultures anyway. 
we're coming. So for me, I would like to see values that coming from a strong Palestinian like souls that really able to hold and to recognize our to find a way with a Jewish story. In so order to two stories. Right. And not to feel threatened by that and the other way around. And then we can work things together. I believe, like you said, the liberation of our people, mm-hmm. both we are prisoners of this conflict. Mm-hmm. Is really the liberation can happen just together. That's my belief. And I really remember during Gaza war, I have a Jewish friend in San Francisco called me and said, I'm not free until you are free. I know for some people this sounds like too much, like Jesus style, you know, love the enemy and uh, like uh, maybe heavy No, ideas. but in this but case, it's, it's tangibly true. It's tangibly it's true. Truly really true. We're not being like, ourselves. No, of course. With this is really true. Like, how can I be free without my Jewish neighbor and the other way around? I can't be free if that person. So I, I can see us together in the same ship, like trying really to do the best for each other instead of doing bad. And if we really love this land, and that's important to me to say, uh, also I grew up with this nature here a long time ago. I remember when this land was more nicer than nowadays Before due us. to the capitalism and many other reasons. You know, like I really would like to see us working together like to repair this land and to take care of it and the animals and many other things that can't work separately. Mm-hmm. Also the water, I learned to swim in, in a spring in Wadikalt, not in a swimming pool somewhere for example, with the chlor and all that. So I grew up with the indigenous life here, actually, and the seasons, my family live with the seasons. My mom still eat like seasonal food, for example. And I think our peoples on both sides are really smart, and they can learn a lot from each other, mm-hmm. a lot from each other, like experiences and history. And the narrative, the indigenous and colonizer energy have to meet. When I say our liberation is dependent on you, we're not colonizers. We're not the Greeks, we're not the Romans, we're not the British, but we're behaving like we are. Mm. We've fallen into the trap, we've fallen into the role that's alien yeah. to us. That's not who we are. We need to relearn. We, we yeah. were destroyed, meaning my people suffered yeah. a destruction, an exile, uh, experience of colonization that was external and internal, and coming back to our land, it's not enough just to come back to our land and have an independent state. We mm. have to go back to figuring out who we are, what our values are, how you express that on a national level. Mm. And right now I would say that Israel's military occupation of the West Bank actually undermines the Jewish people's connection to Judea and Samaria. Meaning the Jews in Judea, it's not like we're the Americans in Afghanistan. We're not the Americans mm. in Afghanistan, but we behave like we are. And by behaving like we are, we're, we're not being us. We're not being ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like I think what you said is correct. You said that we need to create space to, to reconcile the narratives. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to create a bigger narrative that's inclusive enough yeah. to encompass both ostensibly rival narratives, where we could both yeah. be protagonists in the same story together. And actually what you say important, I want to strengthen your direction by saying this. From my experience, Telling Palestinian the Israeli narrative started in the Holocaust and the Herzl and the last century, it doesn't really it's help. Not true. It doesn't help also. Take even practically it doesn't help. Because you know, like very simple, many of my Palestinian friends they say, Oh yeah, yeah. I I recognize the Holocaust, but it's not our uh, responsibility. Why we we didn't do that? For example. So people go into defense immediately. While talking about like really a normal historical changes that happen here, the Jewish part of Middle East than Europeans, it changed the movie. <laughs> and for me also take took years and reading and you know, like learning Hebrew and this until I could 
eat that. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. No, I understand. I, while saying that, also, like for Israelis to recognize the, the recent history of Palestinian, the Nakba and other things, like in principle, in theory, it does take a lot of negative energy. Mm-hmm. In the practical side, then we talk, but I believe this is really important. And this fight between our leaders, I see it last week because they found some archaeology near Ashkelon, I believe, about the old Philist. And there was a lot of Twittering, like Bibi Netanyahu, Sabi talking about who's indigenous here. So the fighting around who's first here, I know it exists also in other places in Africa among two big tribes in Rwanda. But it's not relevant. We're both from Yes, we, yeah, it's not, but. This conversation and this argument and this fight is really very deep here, like who's the first one here. You know, in our culture, aside of the conflict with Israel, my aunt, she's 90-something years old, very old, and she knows all our history, my family history. She will tell you, in my village, there are like two, three families. They came just 150 years ago to my village from East Jordan or somewhere. And she will say, oh, our tribe is the indigenous one here in the village, the oldest. And these are not from our village, even though they are there like many generations. Right. So we have years. to take the cultural part into consideration. It's not even about just Palestinian Israelis and the conflict. There's a lot of other cultural mm-hmm. in within. Like refugees in clans. Right, like everywhere, you know. And that's really also important. I think that we could reach a place where we can teach each other like connection and history here without thinking, oh, it's all manipulation in order to take this land. And people have to feel safe to do that. Like. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a long way. Uh, what I'm saying now was not what I'm saying some years ago, so it takes a long time. And that's why we have to have maybe empathy and patience with people that are stuck with it, what we call it the red lines in their no. the psychology thing. It's, it's challenging, like it takes time, but I'm really optimistic because I see more and more individuals and groups open to learn about the, to what to we call the other without, without giving up your own. Yeah. Right. No, that's the truth. It's it's totally it takes a lot of courage. It does yeah. take a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of commitment to your own story. I think the only yeah. way people are able to do this is, is if they're already rooted in their own story and their own identity, yeah. and then they can It'll engage that fear. But a person yeah. who's not engaged, who's not really rooted, a person who's not really rooted in his own story and doesn't really know his own identity, he gets lost if he starts to engage of course. Uh, everything else. It's of course, it's I'm really optimistic. Uh, maybe for some people, think it's naive, but I think uh, from my own experience. Mm-hmm recognizing each other like pain and trauma and history and connection, it does help also practically mm-hmm. in all sides. It does really opens people's heart. Like denial is really a bad thing. And of course, we a lot of our people live in denial. They won't, don't want to see the reality because of the pain. Yeah. Wh- when's your book coming out? So we have a conversation with a few publishing houses mm-hmm. in New York and Boston, other places. So. We don't know exactly, but uh, like late this year or early next year, it will be out, and it will be a lot about really personal stories and my village story. That all also interesting for you guys have a Jewish history as well. It's Jewish history in your village, right? In Not in Poland, in my village. <laughs> a sarcastic note, but uh, of course, and have you know all the history of the area, you know, the Canaanite, the Roman, and all that. I feel my community carry all of that. Mm-hmm. I uh, so I'm really like happy to share a lot of and I also challenged by sharing all of this experiences the jail experiences the details of that and the human story with people it will be in English at the first the, the book place. will be called Salt and Water yeah that's the first name that we have right now Suleiman Khatib 
and Benina, she's the writer. Right, you she interviewed you for the book a couple right, of Right, she interviewed you. I tried really in the book actually to have all the voices as much as uh, we mm -hmm. can. And it's not uh, directly just like a big political thing. Right. It's personal stories of people, real people that live here. Exactly. Like, and uh, I believe and I hope this will help what we're trying to do, you're doing, I do, and other people doing here um, by opening hearts and minds of many other people that don't maybe have opportunity to come here and see things. So I look forward to reading it. Yeah, we say inshallah, and of course I have some challenges there because I it's not, I also believe in self-criticism and I believe in openness and you know like I live in a society where people still you know some issues are not talked about so there are some challenges in the book so I'm trying to see how to do that basically I, I'm trying to say I'm trying to keep my that I have a credit in the Palestinian society because I was in jail mm -hmm. and my family involved in that. You have street cred. So there is that thing. Is credibility credit. in Palestinian society. Right, of course, because I was in jail and I have experience and there is appreciation for that because what we talk about here on one side is the criminal other side. And at the same time, I know Hebrew. I have experiences with many of my Israeli friends. I helped create some organizations and uh, kept like the, yeah, help dialogue among our peoples. And uh, so I'm really hoping this will be a rich uh, book for like, sharing our stories with many people and uh, happy to face some challenges like as we do is your yeah. website listeners can find some of your writings ideas uh, so i'm they can also find me in combatants for peace i'm one of the founders of combatants for peace and i'm also active with other groups i'm trying to honestly not to be just under one group because i want also to be free and uh, i believe in the most important thing is not this platform or that platform, is really the idea and the activist community is more important to me than one organization. Uh, of course, people can like find me on Twitter, Suli Khatib. That's more like relevant to this conversation. Okay, so yeah. Suleiman Khatib? Yeah. Okay, K-H-A-T-I-B. Right. We'll have it in the show notes. And uh, at uh, Suli.Khatib, that's my Twitter. It's okay. easy to find me, like in uh, Wikimedia. Right, right, right. Yeah, I have a page, finally, and uh, Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, it's very easy. Like They can put my name, and the movie also is there. The movies and Netflix. And Netflix, Disturbing yeah. Disturbing the peace. Right, and I hope the book, uh, soon we will have a page, and right, yeah, we are still in early ages. All right, Suleiman Khatib, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, guys, and good luck. And uh, this was Yuda Kohen with uh, Vision Magazine and Brit Chazon, the Next Stage podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at visionmag.org backslash the next stage. Catch us next time.